Blog Talk Radio. Hello out there. My name is Sam Maxwell, and welcome back to the Bedford & Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. And uh, as we do on numerous occasions here on the Bedford & Sullivan Podcast, though we are clearly Brooklyn-centric, we're going to travel all the way up to Upper Manhattan and talk a little New York Giants here. And uh, today I have Gary Mintz, the founder of the Preservation Society for those New York Giants Baseball Club. How are you doing, Gary? Thanks for being on. Sam, how are you? Pleasure to be on your show. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, of course. Well, let's let's just get an, an overview first for those that aren't exactly as familiar as I am with the New York Giants Preservation Society. If you could just speak briefly about uh, its mission. Sure. Uh, we First of all, we uh, are a growing organization. No dues or anything like that. We have uh, a Facebook uh site, a Yahoo site, and of course our own website, www.NewYorkGiantsPreservationSociety.com. Our mission is just simple. We want to make sure that the New York Giants remain alive in our memories and make sure that everybody in New York and the surrounding area know that uh, we are not going to just uh, let this uh, die out. You know, a lot of the members uh, were uh, fans during their time in New York, but there's absolutely no reason for, uh, even though they're getting older, for this society to end, and we are going to bring it into the uh, 21st century. Excellent. I, I'm glad that you have, and you've uh, obviously gotten me thinking about that that side of things for for a while there. I was very, very Brooklyn-focused, but the only way to get the full Brooklyn story is to get the, the uh, story of the entire age, which included the Giants. So I thank you for... for keeping that memory alive. Now, how did this entire thing begin? Well, I, I was part, my father was a uh, New York Giants fan. And he belonged to a, an organization, and uh, when he passed away, I got a few phone calls, and I went to a few meetings, and then I decided uh, it, was, it was time to branch out a little bit and, and try to start something new with, uh, you know, with the electric media today. And uh, my friend and I, the co-president, Steve Rothschild, who's on your show, uh, we wrote a letter to the uh, San Francisco Giants um, asking them uh, if they would honor the uh, 50-50 year anniversary of the last season in New York at AT&T Park. And uh, Stacy Slaughter, who was the vice, uh, senior vice president of communications, um, and, and her assistant, Faham, were all for it. And uh, from that point on, we became the New York Giants uh, Preservation Society. And we've been. That was in uh, June of uh, 2012. We were at AT&T Park. Uh, we had actually made conversations with them in uh, 2011. Uh, we had attended the uh, the World Series trophy uh, presentation in Manhattan, and since then we've been uh, moving forward. And I think we're making some nice headway. We've gotten a lot of members to uh, sign up. Um, We've gotten a lot of positive feedback, and again, we, we we are trying our darndest to make sure that you know it's very hard to keep a franchise alive in the minds of people that doesn't exist anymore. Now, the San Francisco, the, the whole Giants franchise does, but the, the New York Giants team doesn't. So we want to make sure that they're not forgotten, and they won't be. Now, do you think that had something to do with with um the romanticism that seems to fall on the Dodgers side of things, with uh, with Brooklyn and the borough being being such a such a thing for those uh, those folks. 
I, th- I think that the Giants and the Di- I mean, I, I'm a little younger than most of the members. Uh, most of the members I speak to, you know, the Dodgers, they, and you notice through your research, they had such a uh, woven fabric with the community there. Most of the players uh, lived by Ebbets Field. They were friendly. The, the, the stadium was nice and cozy. And the Polo Grounds was basically the opposite, and people complained about it being a rundown area. So I, I, for some reason, you know, I, I spoke to my father a, a few times about it, but uh, I don't think the as, as, as great fans of the New York Giants that the fans were, I don't think there was a, that tie that the Dodger fans have. Like the Dodger fans today, I think most of the Brooklyn Dodger fans, most of them hate the Los Angeles Dodgers, and I don't see that hatred with the uh, the New York fans. A lot of them have gone on to become San Francisco fans, and if you saw the trophy has come here two years, there were there were many many uh, people over 50, over 60, and over 70 who were in attendance for this. So they have they have kept uh, the spirit of the Giants alive. And many of them followed them 3,000 miles across the country. Now, with that, it would seem, you know, I've speculated many, many times uh, from the Brooklyn aspect of things that, like you said, it had to do with that community thing and the feeling of being offended by by the entire exile. And um, what what do you place as the primary reason why so many Giants fans stuck with their team 3,000 miles away? I know from my father, it was number 24, Willie Mays, the greatest player ever. He worshipped the man, and uh, he remained a giant fan because of Willie Mays. Yeah, that's not the first time I've heard that. And Willie does seem to have captured, you know, when thinking about a Dodger equivalent, the only person that comes to mind is Sandy Koufax. But in terms of his renaissance, Sandy Koufax's renaissance, didn't occur for for another basically five to seven years after the Giants. I'm sorry, after the Dodgers left. Sam, when when, when the Giants were kind enough to bring the trophy here twice, the reverence they have for this man, the the, the Giant fans in attendance, uh, the, it look when you're looking at these older men, they're looking at him like like godlike. That's that's how they view this guy, and I I you know asking him questions, telling them stories. I mean, this is stuff that they keep in their minds and memories that will never go away. Uh, so in, in terms of your father's perspective, are there any, um, uh, is there any Willie Mays story that jumps out of, out of your head from that, that your dad told you? He just told me he was the greatest he ever saw. That, uh, you know, running around that bases with that hat flying off, basically uh, decoying and uh, making fielders throw the ball to the wrong base because he was just a terrific base runner. I mean, he was such a great talent and, you know, home run hitter and this and fielder, but base running, he was he was, he was was just a tremendous base runner. I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Of all the things, he was just a tremendous runner. And you, you always see the films of him going from first to third and just in, in, in a moment's time. It's remarkable, and obviously he stuck with you since you followed uh, your dad and and uh, into Giants fandom. Uh, and you spoke a second ago about uh, the the fans following their team three thousand miles away. What was that like for you growing up and not having your baseball team in your backyard? 
I got to tell you, I became a fan in 1969. I was eight years old. And I became a fan because my father, he, he remained loyal to the Giants. So when I was a little kid, I'd ask him, you know, the games would end at 1.30 here. Uh, it was very, very difficult following them, but it made a person in New York, if you really wanted to be a fan, they didn't have the Internet. You relied on, you know, the radio, the 15 minutes updates on sports on the radio. The sporting news was a huge paperback then. Um, the New York Post, you know, when I, I lived in Monticello every summer, and I'd be waiting for that post to show up so I could see the box scores of the games. And, of course, it, it would always say, you know, St. Louis at San Francisco, and there'd be a, an end next to a meeting night game that it ended too late to see the box score. So it was very difficult, and growing up, um, you know, you'd get some of the East Coast radio stations. Um, if the, if it was a clear night, you'd get Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, Chicago, and St. Louis, and you could listen to a lot of the games, but there was, you know, a real lot of static, so sometimes you didn't know if something good happened or if it was static, and you just had to have tilt your radio under your pillow in the correct fashion, and once in a while you'd get lucky. But it was very, really difficult. Today, somebody's a giant fan in New York, and he's a youngster. He, he's got it made. He's got the MLB network. He's got WFAN here. And he can go on, find out any, any information by following the giant beat writers. So today it's a lot easier. But I would not be the fan I am today. I, I would not be the same fan if I didn't have to go through what I had to go through. So for me... It was like 40, 40, 41 or 42 years of, of hassle. But when they won the World Series, Sam, the greatest feeling ever. really was. And I was, fortunate, I was fortunate enough that my family, my wife and three daughters, were able to come to the trophy things. Unfortunate that my, my dad couldn't make it. Because yeah. he, he, uh, he passed. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that, that was the case, but it, it's, I can only imagine what that feeling was like, and, and I hope to feel it with, with my Metsies one day. Oh, you will. <laughs> although I won't. Although although I won't. Have, I, I hope. I, you know, it's unfortunate that San Francisco waited so long, and I hope that Mets fans don't have to do the same right now. My father does know, though, because at his gravesite there are two uh, antenna flags that you would hang on an antenna. The World mm-hmm. Championship flags from 2010 and 2012. And somehow, despite Hurricane Sandy and all this other stuff, as uh, you know, the flag is still there, and, and they both are still there, hmm. waving proudly. Well, tell me about the, uh, the first game that you ever went to. That, that's an interesting first story. First game I ever went to was August 19, 1969. Juan Marichal, my father, took us to the game. My brother and my older brother, Jeff, unfortunately, is deceased. But he, he went with me, and my other brother, Mike, was not with us at the time. But we went to a game at Chase Stadium. It was Juan Marichal against Gary Gentry, and it, it was a masterpiece, 0-0, zero, zero, Gentry pitch 9. Juan Marichal was into the 14th inning, still scoreless game, and I had to go to the bathroom. I was an 8-year-old kid and asked Dad if he would take me, and my dad, great guy, but he wasn't moving. He asked my brother to take me, and my brother took me. And we were in uh, the uh, stalls there in the bathroom, and we heard this tremendous roar, and my brother grabbed my hand and ran me out, and we see Tommy Agee rounding third. He hit a home run. Giants lost one nothing, And my brother did not let me forget that, if you know what I mean. 
So well, that was the, that was the first game. Um, and another really memorable game I went to was May, because my dad loved Mays so much. We went to the first Willie Mays game uh, as a Met. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I remember it vividly. It was uh, rain, raining that day. They didn't know if the game was going to be played or not. Uh, it was in uh, May of 72. And uh, Mays hit a home run that beat the Giants 5-4. Um, got a great ovation from the Met fans and any Giant fans who were there, which there were many. Here's the I'm going back to that game uh, in 1969 because I, I think, like we talked about, with uh, you know how you had to follow a team 3,000 miles away uh, back in the day, and how quickly I pulled this game up that you were talking about. <laughs> I think just sums up the, t- the difference in time. And I think um, what Marichal might have pitched 13 and a third, two thirds. 13 maybe? and a third. You, yeah. you nailed it. And, and so, so it's August 19th, 1969. And uh, here's the uh, the trivia question for you: Who grounded out? Hold on, let's let's see this. Who grounded out uh, to the pitcher? Um, the batter before Tom Agee hit that home run. I would, I would not remember. Pinch hitter Rod Gaspar. How about that? <laughs> Rod Gaspar. Oh number man, seven, that's number seventeen, Sam. That I yeah. remember. Number seventeen. So uh, have the Mets kind of held, uh, you know, with the whole Willie Mays thing and just being in New York, have they been almost your second team or is that kind of hard being in the National League and also growing up with them during an age when the Giants would play the Mets so often? And so many hard-fought games, too. I I can't really like another team. My passion is with the Giants. However, if there's a game on here, most of the time I I would watch the Mets. The Yankees, I... I have a lot of trouble stomaching with the amount of money that's spent. and uh, So I would say I'm a National League fan, and I would, if the Giants did not exist, I, I would probably root for the Mets. But the Mets wouldn't exist if it weren't for what the Giants that, and the That's very, very true. But, the, you know, there were times <laughs> when um, they were talking about collapsing the team and this and that, and uh, thank goodness that didn't happen. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, going back to that, that day on the field in San Francisco, uh, if you could go into a little bit more detail about that. Oh, absolutely. So uh, we, we, we were involved with the Giants uh, to honor the uh, last season in San Francisco, and uh, they asked us, they said there'd be like a seven to ten minute presentation, and they, uh, Steve, Steve Rothschild, myself, uh, Ed Logan, who is the uh, son of... Uh, his father was the giant clubhouse manager. His grandfather also was the giant clubhouse manager. So he has ties to New York probably better than anybody. Uh, Mo Resner, who happened to shoot the game um, on his uh, eight millimeter film, and it's now been turned into video, which it's a fantastic piece of history. Uh, he was there. Bobby Weinstein, uh, uh, one of the giant bat boys in New York. Uh, Peter McGowan, who. Uh, was the former head of the Giants, um, and he's still, in, you know, very much involved with the Giants. And Mike Murphy and Peter McGowan made a fantastic speech about remembering the history of the team in New York. He he play, uh, paid homage to our society and said, "Well, we're going to keep it going." And he he actually came uh, into New York um, in September when the Giants were in town and spoke at our meeting. Uh, I'm going to give a plug out to my good friend uh, 
Jay Goldberg, who uh, called, who's, who owns a uh, baseball shop called Bergino's in uh, Lower Manhattan, where you and I, Sam, met. Uh, he, he allows us to use his facility for all of our meetings. He's just a great guy. He's got a great shop. And uh, we have about four meetings there a year, and he's always a uh, terrific host. Great guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's unfortunate that I wasn't able to come to that Peter McGowan meeting, but it was fortunate that Peter McGowan has been on this show, and I look forward to having him on here once more that you were able to call into. Yeah, and then Mr. McGowan, so, you know, Mr. McGowan gives a speech, and uh, the giant officials are saying, could you guys, you know, you got to get off the field now, and they're telling us to go by first base, and Mr. McGowan is like, just follow me, don't listen to them. <laughs> And I didn't know what to do. And I was like, you know what? He he used to be the head guy in the team. I'm, I'm going to follow him. So we follow him, and he brings us through the dugout. And I remember saying, you know, good luck to Bruce Bochy and Mr. McGowan's like, you got to keep walking. You don't have, we don't have time for this, you know. So we kept walking, and then we're in the tunnel. And finally, he brings us to the clubhouse, and he goes, there's somebody here who, you know, wants to say hello to you. And he opens up the door, and we walk into Mike Murphy's clubhouse. And lo and behold, Willie Mays is there. Um, And he had balls for us, and he signed, and we talked. And it was a fabulous – it was just one of those nights you just will never forget. Yeah, it sounds like it. It's just – you know, you never think that it's – Willie Mays is going to be on the other side of that door. You think, you know – who any number of people could be on that door, and you'll be happy with any of them, right? But there's Willie Mays. If it was a present-day giant, it would have been great. But, you know, the greatest player ever in most people's eyes. And he's sitting there, and you're you're alone with him. And, you know, the funny thing was, Sam, is, you know, we got to see him in uh, 2013 when they brought the trophy in. And, like I said, you have all these men, you know, excited and, and wiping tears. That I didn't mean to – I don't mean to, to sound the way it might sound, but it was like Steve and I had seen him, like, uh, you know – Six months early, I was like, ah, you know what? We just saw him, you know. It's nice. <laughs> These guys are so excited because some of them never had had met him before. Yeah. And he, he was really on his game, and, in, 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 you know, he was talking, telling stories, and, you know, the, you could hear a pin drop. Mm-hmm. And Is there any anyone that uh, in particular comes to mind? I know we, we didn't talk about this off the air, but maybe if there's anything that pops into your head uh, regarding what Willie Mays had to say. It, it was it was a lot of question and answer and people. I remember Steve asking a question about some guy who struck him out and 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 something else happened after. And he was just any question he asked, he was like he was really you know eighty two year old man. He, there was no memory loss that day. He had he had everything going on that day, and he was very proud to be there. And you know, in in when he came earlier in twenty eleven. You know, he was as great as what he had brought his uh, – auto, he autographed his book for everybody. But he was mostly asking Buster Posey questions. This was more Willie really up there, and it was, it was just wonderful. No, that's uh, – it, it's making me jealous, man. That's right. Sam, it, it, <laughs> made, it, it, it turned 80- and 70-year-old men back into teenagers. That's what it did. And, and to look at the people who came, and the Giants were so nice to give us a, a private – uh, breakfast two two times now, you know you can't say enough about 
an organization that honors its past and yeah. you know they're just fabulous about doing that and I don't you know some people talk and they don't really mean what they say the the giants are very very proud of their past mm-hmm. and, and it's very obvious when you go to AT&T Park there's all these things uh highlighting the giants uh, their time in New York and now you have a lot of San Francisco fans that all of a sudden have adopted the it's okay to, that the Giants played here in New York. You see people with coats now with the championship years. Now the championship years include the New York years on the back of some of these coats. Right. Because they have their own series championships finally in San Francisco. So now instead of saying, oh, we won two World Series, now they're including the other ones that were won in New York. They're very proud of that. Yeah, the Dodgers fell into one two years after they left. Right. And so I, I get that. Long time waiting, but really – well worth it, I gotta tell you. Well, it's it's hysterical from uh, Ken Burns' point of view. Uh, he he constantly he, these baseball documentaries are amazing, and he's such a great documentarian. Uh, but when it comes to baseball history, he keeps making these things either just in time for his own personal narrative, or 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 just you know after like you know a year too early than when he should have done it because. He he did it right before the steroid uh, the, the steroid boom right. uh, with the with the original one, and then the the a good portion of the narrative had to do with the, the Giants having never won in San Francisco, right. and then literally a month after the movie came out, they won for the first time in, in since being in San Francisco. Well, we'll have to wait for the rewrite now because uh, that'll be something right. I want to see. <laughs> exactly. Um, going, going, going back to uh, your father. Is there any other baseball stories you can remember your father uh, discussing? My father, uh, he told me a lot of things about the Polo Grounds. You know, when we bought past Yankee Stadium, he'd always point out where they were. Uh, you know, he told me, as fans would know, that you had to leave through the center field gate. And he told me that one time he got spiked by. Uh, I believe it was on the Pirates, Johnny Berardino, who later became a big-time actor on General Hospital. So that was a really good story he told me. He used, he used to, out of nowhere, he would just come up with, like, he would sing the Giants fight song. You know, we're calling all fans, all you Giant ball fans, come watch the home team going places around the bases. And one time as a kid, I remember he, he actually wrote a letter to Cara Stoneham. Uh, you know, when Stoneham owned the Giants in San Francisco, I asked him for a copy of that, which I guess fell on deaf ears, never heard from them. But uh, he would go uh, occasionally, there'd be a doubleheader, uh, a football game at uh, Yankee Stadium. He would go to, you know, the Giant baseball game at the Polo Grounds, across the Coombsdam Bridge, and see, you know, the, uh, the Giants football. He was a big Giants football fan as well. And he'd mimic Melot's swing and, you know, Maze's basket catch, and he loved to call out a certain player, Alvin Blackie Dark, and he always called Monty Irvin the orange cutie. Um, he just, he, he loved the Giants, and that was, you know, one of his, his passions in life, and I, I got that from him, and uh, for, for that I'm grateful. Now, for all the old-timers, Mel Ott seems to be the giant before Willie Mays. That, that, you know, other than Carl Hubble, was basically the face of the franchise for so long. And Matthewson. Right, and Matthewson, and obviously McGraw, John McGraw, right. the, uh, the long-time coach. 
So any anything in particular uh, going off on the male odd tangent that you can remember about the guy? Just, about your what your father had to say. Just he he would lift he would do the male odd swing. He'd lift the leg up. And and you know when I'd be upstate in the summertime, you know we'd be playing wiffle ball or stick ball, and he would you know when he was up there on the weekends, he would always ask the guys if he can get a swing, and then he would swing like him and park one over there. It was this little pump house for the pool, and he'd put one over. He, my dad had a great lefty swing. He was lefty, yeah. so it was yeah. it was easy for him to imitate art. So, you know, uh, one of my great memories of my father was. I'm sure when he was a younger man, he must have been a great athlete because he certainly knew how to swing the bat. And he would also, another, you know what, I just remembered now, he would show, he would show me the Hoyt Wilhelm knuckleball. Oh. And even though he was lefty and Wilhelm was a righty, he would always say, Hoyt Wilhelm, and then he would release the ball. <laughs> so, it, I, haven't, I haven't gotten my, my softball knuckleball down. <laughs> But uh, it was, my father really was, uh, like I said, I mean, I don't mean to wax poetically or, or get no, sad, but he 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 loved them. And, you know, his, his love for them made me, because I wanted to be like him, made me want to root for the Giants. Uh, and you know what? As you get older, I, don't re- I didn't ever realize, really. I became a fan in 69. I mean, it wasn't that the Giants had only left like 12 years earlier. It wasn't that really long a time before I became a fan. Mm-hmm. You know, so we've been trying, you know, in the organization to just uphold things and try to keep things, you know, going. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if we even mentioned that whole John Brush stairway we've been involved with. Um, yeah, please. The last remnant of the, the polo grounds. I've been in con- constant contact with the New York Park Department, and basically they, you know, refurbished the stairway, and it's it's going to be rededicated. They're just waiting on, you know, contracts with Con Ed or something. But uh, you know, that's something that you know the society, uh, you know, hopefully is going to show up there when they rededicate it, and I know hopefully. Maybe the Giants, if they're in town, or a representative will be there as well, because they, along with the Mets and the Yankees, you know, all donated significant money to get that uh, redone. And it looks it looks great. I was there maybe a month or two ago, and it looks it looks wonderful. On October fourth um, of this year, I was uptown at a friend's place, and I had stayed over, and I for the 58th anniversary. Of, of the Dodgers winning the 1955 World Championship, I was ever so fortunate to have Carl Erskine on the show. Nice. And afterwards, you know, I'm at 156th Street and Broadway, and then I, I had to come back downtown, so I, I left, uh, you know, pretty much there after 10 o'clock, uh, when all of a sudden I'm walking towards the C train and I realize where I am. And I had never been up at that area. I think I might have biked up 8th Avenue once and before going off onto whatever bike path they have that keeps going up from 155th Street. But I had never been standing in that, uh, you know, Coogan's Bluff and, and down on that area. And so, you know, there, there, were, there were construction workers working on the stairs when I, when I was there in October. So they're, they're certainly going strong with it. Yeah, I, like I said, I, I think the work is actually done. They're just waiting on COs or something. Uh, I was fortunate enough to speak to Miss um, um, uh, Miss uh, Hoppe, who's one of the, uh, the people involved there, and she said they're just waiting on uh, just little work to be done, and then it's going to happen. So, 
And, and besides being a historic thing, if if you live in the area, uh, if you got to get down that hill, it's it's a lot mm-hmm. easier walking down those steps and walking all the way around the bluff, which is just yeah. you know an adventure. That's that's for sure. Uh, we don't have too much time left, Gary, uh, but I, I want to get into a little bit of modern baseball because it's something I, I, I'm always doing with uh, the Dodger side of things, but I'm realizing I, I hadn't done with the, the Giants side of things uh, too much. So, um, you know, the win- we're knee-deep in the winter meetings right now. Uh, what do you like about what the Giants have done so far, and what do you believe they need to do to get back to the promised land? Even though, you know, personally, I don't want them to get anywhere near them, but it doesn't even, but it does, but it doesn't matter because the Mets and, and the Giants, no matter their their roster, are always having one run battles. It's, it's unbelievable how good the Mets and the Giants play each other. Well, what I'm happy with, I, I think Tim Hudson has has a couple of years left. I think he's a great athlete, um, big improvement over Barry Zito. Finally, the Giants don't have to deal with that contract. Um, Tim Lincecum may not be the pitcher he was. I'm hoping, though, he started to rebound a little last year. He's a real rough guy not to like, and I, I was was not upset at them re-signing him at all. I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be good. You know, I think they have to. They could use another utility man, and they need a left fielder in the worst way, preferably an everyday player. And they're talking about platooning with Blanco. I'm not really in favor of that. I'd like to see Blanco as an extra outfielder, maybe a defensive replacement. Uh, I think they're going to be very competitive, and I think they could win. I really do. Their pitching is is good. They could also use another relief pitcher. But I don't. You know, they're definitely going to be better than last year, and I think they're going to be very strong contenders. And if things break the right way, hopefully you never know. You know, it's uh, every even year. The last couple of years, they brought home the championship. I'd love to see it again in 2014. I mean, it seems as if last year was was just an off year. They're they're not blowing anything up right now. Um, you know, I mean, they came back as as opposed to 2010 to 11. They came back with uh, the the same team they had in right. 2012. You know, I I think I think you're going to see improvement. Matt Cain, I think, is going to be better. Hopefully, Vogelson. Maybe they said he was tired from the World Baseball Classic. Mm-hmm. You know, they recently resigned him. And I think a real stud is Madison Bumgarner. I think is an elite pitcher. He's he's terrific. And he's a good guy. These guys are young, and they, you know, they, for years they'd always pick up these veterans. And I know they picked up Hudson. These guys have been through the wars. Been, most of them have been on both World Series teams. They don't need any veteran presence per se. They just need to play better. They need better offense. They get a left fielder. I think we're we're going to be looking good. Well, uh, I can only wish you the best of luck. Uh, other than when you play the Mets, as I, as I said, I, I don't know. There's no opponent that that. Uh, uh, from my Messian perspective, uh, that battles the way the Giants and the Mets battle. It, it's it's just, uh, they're always fun games, and, and you know that they're just going to, they're just going to get on your nerves. Even though they're fun, they're just, it's going to get, your hair, is, you're going to be pulling your hair into 1 to 2 o'clock in the morning because uh, they're going to be still playing in the 16th inning at some point. And the the sick part about it is, Sam, is I'll be up watching. Right. (laughs) You know, uh, I'll leave leave with this, uh, Gary. I don't think I made it the whole way the last time the Mets were out in San Francisco playing a 16-inning ball game. But I believe they ended up winning, if I'm correct. Yeah, you are correct. It's very hard. like, Like I said, it's hard being a fan. 
when you're staying up to 1.30. But what's worse is staying up to 1.30 and going to sleep angry, which I've done many a time. So uh, I'll leave exactly. you with that. Well, Gary, thank you very, very much. It is lovely to hear all the stories, and you're certainly welcome back on at uh, any time. Sam, my pleasure, and I hope you and the uh, audience, our next meeting will be uh, in January with Ken Davidoff. If anybody needs any information, you can just uh, email me at giantsguru at gmail.com. And make sure you go to NewYorkGiantsPreservationSociety.com and RSSC to get the latest updates from the New York Giants Preservation Society. Terry, again, thank you very, very much for coming on. Sam, have a great night. Good luck with your finals, bud. I appreciate it. That's our show, everybody. Have a good one. Take care.